What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, Arif Dean of Mile High Sports and Peter Baugh of The Athletic. Here to break down the Sunday version of our episode, always the big version. Glad Peter Baugh can join us. Peter, how you doing? Arif, how you doing? Let's get this show started. I'm doing well. It's good to be here. I'm doing great and excited to rock and roll. Uh, I feel like we were about one step away from uh, having to hit the panic button on this episode, but a big win from Colorado in Vegas on the second night of a back-to-back. But I wanted to back up and start this conversation tonight with the game against Seattle. Of course, it was fun to see Andre Burakovsky and put all that behind us, but the loss is really what we've got to get into because it it felt like, um, you know, Seattle's been a a decent team so far. You know, the the loss stung for sure, but... You see the bounce back in Vegas. It felt like the Seattle loss was a wake-up call. Would you guys agree with me? To an extent, yeah. I mean, I think even if they had lost the Vegas game, it wouldn't have been necessarily like panic-inducing. We saw this last year. They started four, five, and one. Sometimes starts. T- it, sometimes it takes time for teams to gel. And um, but the Seattle game was was a kind of an ugly showing. It maybe thought that. It just looked lackluster all around. They no one really even when they even when Byram tied it, they were still way down in shots. They were they weren't doing much. And the fact of the matter is you need to be able to get at least a couple shots on net when you have a backup goalie entering yeah. cold with 10 minutes left. Like that's as as Bednar said, it's kind of an unacceptable showing. And they they did a lot better the next night and deserve credit for that. Yeah, I mean, look at, you know, the, the they're six games in, they've lost three, one of them in overtime. But you look at the Calgary game, we've talked a lot about that one, how the odds were kind of stacked against them. The second of a back-to-back against a good team, opening night, blah, blah, blah. The other loss was the overtime loss to Winnipeg earlier this week that JJ and I did a post-game podcast on was when the, you know, the, the Avalanche started slow, but then they started to kind of build out of it. They had some strong you know, parts of that game, but then they lost in overtime, but then this game over here, it just wasn't a good game. Like almost all around, like you said, like they were, they were getting outshot by an unreasonable amount at some points, which is very unlike this team. Uh, They, the Winnipeg jets or sorry, the Seattle crack and a lot of their chances were literally right in front of the net, like beneath the hash marks in the crease. Uh, as Jared was saying, there was just not a lot of compete. They were losing a lot of puck battles. They weren't playing physical. They weren't checking. His favorite phrase is, we're not checking hard. We're not checking hard. Um, so of the three losses, this is the one where they just did not look good all around. Yeah, he's, he alluded to checking hard and just execution of the game plan, right? So I, I, And I puck mean, touches. And yeah. puck touches, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, the Seattle game, I definitely saw some some decent scoring chances, right? I mean, we saw New Hook get a couple good ones. We saw a crossbar hit. But, yeah, I mean, just the lack of shots on goal, it was worrisome. And I felt like Jared Bednar after, I wouldn't call him bewildered. I don't know if he just wasn't sh- sharing everything with us that night, but he didn't really seem to know exactly what the issue was. I mean, like he said, he's he, all the guys are saying the right thing. Um, but just not really putting it all together. So I, I guess, Peter, you seem to think it's gelling that is still the issue of this team. Uh, Arif, what, where do you stand? What do you think is the issue right now at, at, as, as far as really looking like the dominant team that, that we're used to seeing? Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. I'll, you know, I'm sure Jared has figured this out, and he's pro- if he has, he's not going to say it in front of us. If he actually has come to this conclusion is 
the team's just not as deep right now. Alex Newhook, I don't believe, has any points. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. No Zero points. points in six games. Evan Rodriguez is finally finding the back of the net in two consecutive games. He's got two goals. Valeria Nachushkin, Miko Rantanen, uh, Nathan McKinnon, and Arturi Lekkinen. So that's your top six right now. There's no Burakovsky. There's no Kadri. So you're already trying to adjust after losing those guys. Granted, I know Berkey wasn't really a top six guy last year at the end. Uh, but you're also, the whole regular season though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like after the Lekkinen acquisition and after Gabe came back from his injury. So when they were at, you know, full, full health in the, you know, the start of the playoffs with Gabe and Lekkinen both healthy, but you lost Berkey, you lost Kadri, and now not, uh, uh, you have no Gabe Landeskog for three months. So it's as simple as this. It's number one, they need to gel because these new guys need to kind of find their chemistry. Rodriguez and new hook. Um, and I consider Newhook a new guy just because he didn't play a lot with these top six forwards uh, last year. And now he's pretty much being relied on to play a lot with them. And Rodriguez is a completely new guy. So for me, it's the team's just not as deep, the, deep as it was last year. And that's a little bit of an adjustment period. Is it, you know, something to panic over? No, but it is going to be an adjustment. Yeah, I mean, o- over the summer, we all kind of discussed how they were going to come out of the gate a little bit weak right so is it stanley cup paying over is it a chemistry thing who knows but they still got some sorting to do but again at least the vegas win was a little bit reassuring that they are able to uh win when their backs against the wall and maybe you know have the tools to to write the ship so i guess key takeaways peter from uh the vegas game yeah i thought it was a really a really good effort especially on a back-to-back i thought Alexander Georgiev looked awesome. I thought that was one of his best games this year. He bailed the abs out of a, a couple tough situations. I think he stopped an Eichel deflection right at the a buzzer. Um, so he deserves a lot of credit. I think, um, I don't know, the power play is really, really, really good. And I think that it'll only get better as the team gets healthier with Landeskog back. And then you can move some other guys around and, and stuff like that. And I think you're starting to see maybe the scoring depth come a little bit more you have rodriguez contributing in in each of the past two games new hook i thought looked pretty good against seattle i really liked um especially his start to the game as jared bednar said he had a few really good chances and those will eventually start to go in um so yeah i thought it was a, a complete effort i thought they they did the little things right they were cleaner crisper um, they and they held the puck a lot more. I know Vegas led in shots, but I think if you Vegas also had way more blocked shots, meaning that the Avs were shooting the puck a lot. So I thought it was a good all around effort. I want to get into the uh, power play real quick, or let's just dive in one by one on each of those things because, uh, yeah, you hit them all on the head, and those are honestly all the topics I wanted to get into today. So starting with the power play, <laughs> it really feels like this has been the lifeline of the team, right? I mean, it almost seems like they're at a point where without the power play producing the way it is this this team might even you know be struggling to win any games at all nine goals on 17 chances like it's funny that peter says that this power play could get better the reality is it really genuinely could but they're operating at a 52.9 percent with a pretty decent sample size at this point it's it's insane what they're doing yeah that and that'll fade too of course yeah yeah yeah. if they score 50 more than 50 percent of their power play opportunities they're going to end the season with 400 plus goals yeah. Well, I, I think what's even, you know, more miraculous, I guess, is the fact that they've done most of it without PP2 really producing. I mean, I feel like Evan Rodriguez power play goal yesterday is the first real action I've seen power play to do anything positively. So um, still working out the kinks there. And with that, I mean, you've seen with the absence of Devon Taves, Bo Byram stepping in and he's starting to, you know, come into his own a little bit with that extra um, time on ice, getting two 
uh, a goal and two assists in the last two games. So that PP2, I think, is working out some kinks. And once they start vibing a little bit and really, you know, getting some momentum, I think the power play is going to be a force to be reckoned with, even though, you know, it will come down a little bit. I also think PP2 is good against Seattle. They didn't score, but they looked really good that game. I think they're they're starting to get a little bit of oper- a little bit more time and opportunity to be on the ice, which is nice because you know PP one's usually on there for like ninety seconds. PP two is usually kind of the the unit that comes on as the PP is phasing down and the players coming out and they got to play a more defensive game. But uh, last couple of games they've been getting their chances and and they're taking advantage of it. I, I again like this team has a lot of firepower for a team that lost a lot of firepower. They still have a lot of it, and you're kind of. You know, and it goes back to the gelling conversation. You're kind of watching it slowly start to gel and develop. Well, there's also something that Peter's been keeping an eye on for quite some time, and that's when Devon Taves was healthy. They were running that three defenseman power play unit, right? Suddenly, Devon Taves goes down. They go to maybe a little more orthodox of a power play unit. First game is Seattle, and that's where Peter mentions they're, they're starting to click a little bit. So maybe the experiment there with the three defensemen might just not be quite ready for implementation yet. What's funny I, is over I don't, really, really quick over the last decade and a half, what's funny is the more orthodox power play unit now is 1D. Yep. The fact that the Avalanche had Taves and Gerard on that unit last year was already kind of like, hey, look, they have a 2D second unit, and that's already pretty cool. And now Bowen Byram, Devon Taves, Sam Gerard, like you can't keep those guys off. Yeah, I'd also add that I think maybe I, – I don't necessarily think that this is – an indictment of the three defensemen experiment, because I think you look at the, at Seattle against Seattle in particular, I thought Gerard and Byram were the best two players on the second power play. And what are you going to do? Not play Taves on the power play. Like he's, he's one of their best players. So I, I actually think that that still could work. I think we'll see again, they need, they, the sample size has been so small for that second power play unit because the top unit has been so, I mean, they've scored. What what did you say it was, Eric? They're nine for seventeen Not, on the nine of seventeen. Yeah, I think eight of those have come from the top unit. So that means that essentially only eight chances on only eight power plays, the second unit has even gotten gotten That's on the true. ice. That's true. And like, and usually it's with like forty seconds when they're regro- re- regrouping in the defensive zone. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah, very fair point. And kind of you know with. Evan Rodriguez coming into, I guess, his own and feeling more comfortable and really starting to vibe with his line mates. I mean, that's the same thing. You see the success on the power play goal finally, and it's because they're finally starting to get to a a rhythm of being on the ice. So I'm with that. I like that point a lot, Peter. The question that I have about the second unit, Peter, maybe there's a question for, for you or even you, JJ, but like what we're seeing from Evan Rodriguez is the guy can wire the puck. He's, he's got a good shot and he kind of plays that half wall similar to Nathan McKinnon. And then Alex Newhook is more of a shooter, passer type of player too. So with the three defensemen and Rodriguez and Newhook, basically without comfort on that unit, who's your net mouth pain in the ass presence there? Yeah. Because I, I don't I don't remember who was playing it when those five guys were all playing at once, but obviously now JT's playing that role. Well, I think maybe in an ideal world, if everyone's healthy, it's Nachushkin. And then you That's have... True. You have new hook in his spot rodriguez in his spot and then either byram and gerard with taves as as the, the yeah. yeah i i could see that being the case and will be kind of in that pain in the ass right in front of the net uh 
and then the three defensemen kind of alternate depending on who's who's ready to go and who isn't. I I think that that's going to be a very valuable tool for Bednar to have is Gerard Byram and New and uh, Taves, and to only use two of them at any given time. Well, Eric, I know with that and and with Evan Rodriguez's success, I know you wanted to have a discussion about potential line combinations because you see some, uh, you know, maybe strengths you could add with other strengths or you know strengths to complement some weaknesses here. So let's get into that a little bit. Tell us about your theories that you've been drumming up on on your own here and uh, what you like and dislike from the current lines. Yeah, so I think I brought this up to both of you guys during the Seattle game. So that's now, you know, before two before the last two games ended. And I think it was before Rodriguez scored his goal where I said the Avalanche should try Miko and McKinnon playing with Rodriguez and give Newhook both of Lekkinen and Nichushkin with the idea in mind being Newhook needs two valuable wingers. The Avalanche right now have three healthy ones in Nichushkin, Lekkinen, and, and Rantanen. And by valuable, I mean like pretty damn good legitimate top six wingers. Newhook needs two of them. McKinnon, I don't think he does. So if you play McKinnon and Miko with Rodriguez and then give Newhook both of Val and, and Lekkinen, I feel like it would kind of help Newhook while also you know, let Miko and Matt continue to do their thing. And now since then, Rodriguez has scored two goals. I know one of them was on the power play, but like, Maybe there's something there. I disagree. Um, I think, <laughs> well, I just think that what Lekkanen, Lekkanen's strengths are not things that, when you say like elite wingers to play with Newhook, I, I think you mean like elite, like scoring, shooting, like, like, off- like offensive driven wingers. I think what makes Lekkanen so important on the McKinnon and Rantanen line is that he's a relentless four checker. He's a relentless puck retriever. And we saw those long shifts, especially against Winnipeg where the puck just didn't leave the offensive zone because he's hounding, hounding away at it and all that stuff. I think you lose that for your top line. And I think the longer your top line is in the offensive zone, the more you're going to score. Cause eventually with McKinnon and Rantanen, you're going to get one in. And so I think that by giving New hook Lekkanen. I don't know if that does as much good. I don't think he is as valuable there as he is with McKinnon and Rantanen. I think he's his value is um, it is um, embellished, I guess, when he's with that line. And I think it would be lessened if he was with New Hook and um, New Hook and Nichushkin. I also think that Rodriguez. Yeah, you got to give it time for him to him to come into his own a little bit which we started to see him do. So my, my take is that it would be, I think it would be foolish to, there are other ways to, I, I, I liked what Jared Bednar said, cause I asked him about how do you balance like keeping that line together versus splitting it up. And he talked about how he, he would rather double shift guys to get, to get them with, to get like ranting in a shift with, with new hook or whatever. He'd rather do that than just split the lineup. Yeah, that's a good point. Hear me out. How about the idea of switching Lekkanen with Nachushkin? What would you think to that? I have a reasoning why, but what would you think to that? I mean, I think the top line would be better and the second line would be worse. And I don't think that's what the top line's already playing at an elite yeah. level. So I don't think you need to make it better. And I think then you're you're giving then you're just giving the second, then you're just giving new hook to inconsistent scores. I think yeah. it's fair to say with with Rodriguez and Lekkanen, and that kind of defeats the purpose of what you were going for in the first place that's true so kind of the the reasoning why i think that that could also be an option is 
I'm seeing Lekkonen as more, and I know this goes back to the trade deadline last year where Jared called him kind of like a mini Val where he's just out there hounding the puck. But I'm noticing Lekkonen do more of that than Nachushkin right now because Nachushkin is scoring. He's finishing a lot of plays. Yes, he's the one that's digging for the pucks too, but not as much as Lekkonen. So maybe if Lekkonen is there digging out the puck for Newhook and Rodriguez more and Rodriguez continues to shoot the way he is, then maybe that might help out the second line. I'm just trying to find ways to kind of spark this new hook and Rodriguez pair where you're starting to see Evan Rodriguez score, but what is it with new hook right now? Is it the pressure? Like what is it that's, that's causing him to not only, you know, not be a viable option yet. And I know that the leash is long, but all we have to talk about is six games, but zero points in six games. Like I know he's getting those chances, but what is it that's not resulting in goals? Well, he's he's not finishing them. <laughs> like, like against yeah. Seattle, he had a Grubauer made a good save yeah, on he had one. Two, he's two pretty good ones. Yeah, two two great chances that game. Like, I I think I don't know. I think he it's one. It's entirely possible he's not ready to be a top six center, which is why yeah. they're figuring this out now than in the middle of the season. And and two, like it might just take some time. He's probably feeling a little bit of pressure. He's off to a tough start, but I don't know. I I, I think it would be short sighted to kind of just like give up on him after two games. And I don't think moving ran, like moving breaking up the big line necessarily will, will do the good that it for either line that it would need. Cause it seems like new hook has a bit of chemistry with Rodriguez. Um, like that seems to be developing a little bit. So I, I don't know if splitting them up and putting a more defensive minded winger on that line is what you need. Well, while Peter's answer there kind of sounded like a joke, he's just got to just finish. I, I think he's on to something there because Alex Newhook is feels like he's on the cusp, right? I mean, he's generating some stuff. He's getting better. Yeah, he's got a long list jumping into this new role, role of things he has to improve. And perhaps that's a little bit overwhelming on him and he's thinking a little bit too much, but he it feels like he's almost there. I mean, the way he's been generating lately, the way Evan Rodriguez has finally you know found some sort of breakthrough, I guess, well, temporarily maybe an overreaction there i just think maybe time is all he really needs and he's going to continue to get comfortable in this role and we'll see him start to bury some more like we're used to yeah and i think the like the biggest thing for me is and you make a really good point like if you take miko and mac and you take away the guy that's digging out the pucks for them and put another shooter in rodriguez well then one of miko or mckinnon are going to have to dig out the pucks not really their strengths because they used to play with gabe landeskog who was the king at that as well and kind of played that role so I, I do see that. I think Rodriguez starting to score is only going to help Newhook. Um, but it's just really like Nichushkin, I believe that that sick goal against Vegas, that was his first at five on five, I want to say. His first non-power play goal. Does that sound right? He's had some assists at five on five, but I think that might have been his first non-power play goal. Yeah, so, you know, you have the NHL's, you know, tied for the NHL scoring lead in points with Artemi Panarin playing on that line with Newhook and Rodriguez, but a lot of his production is coming on that top power play unit, not necessarily five on five. So, uh, so you need more of a workhorse on that line is what you're saying. And maybe the answer is splitting up Evan Rodriguez and Newhook. I, yeah. So that's kind of the thought process behind why I brought that up, but also I could, I could see why, you know, it might elevate new hooks line a little bit potentially, but it's going to do more harm than good, given what it's going to do to the top line. I mean, in the end, look, the, the reality is losing Landeskog and, and now knowing that he's gone for three months is it, it sucks, but it's also one of those things where it's going to allow new hook to kind of 
be thrown even more to the fire and have to kind of figure this out without a winger like Landis Gog. Yeah, I mean, if Landis Gog's here, this probably looks a lot different because then you have the 100%. top line and then Landis Gog, Newhook, Nichushkin, and he's probably, yep. Newhook probably has two or three points and we're not even talking about yeah. this. But it, it, he, would, he would ultimately jump right into where Kadri was playing in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess you just got to float right above 500 until he returns and then you know you should skyrocket at least have, have a decent stretch of wins here and there right so yeah i guess it's just about keeping as much of it together as you can until he returns um but yeah we've talked rodriguez i guess any anything else in particular you see working for him that that's helping him kind of experience this breakthrough or, or again is it just time and comfort that he's experiencing here to me, to me, he's just looking more comfortable. Last couple of games, he's looking more comfortable, making more plays. The Seattle, I want to say the first period against Seattle was like the first genuine time that I'm like, Rodriguez and Newhook are making plays and are noticeable because there were so many games in the first, where are we at now? Six. So the first four games of the season, there were so many games where it's like, they were pretty quiet to the point where you almost forget they were in the lineup, but that Seattle games when you started to see that comfort settle in and, and you noticed it against Vegas too. Yeah. And also he's a streaky player. Like we saw that in Pittsburgh, yeah. like that's kind of his MO he'll go through stretches where he, he has a lot of success and he'll go through stretches where he doesn't have as much. And, and so maybe we're just seeing a couple mini streaks to, to start the year. Yeah. I mean, in the end, a 40 point 45 point player that at any point in the season has a 10 and 10, that means he scores 35 over the other 70 games. So there's going to be some stretches in there where he's not producing. And, and right now it's looking like he's, he's slowly building out of that. So we're in a good stretch, you're saying. And then, yeah, we've talked a lot about Val Nichushkin already. I mean, not much can be said that hasn't already be, been said what about Val Nichushkin, especially what on this guy. podcast. But, yeah, we just have to acknowledge his play. And, I mean, that goal he scored yesterday, exactly what we talked about on our last podcast, right? Arif just taking people wide. He did it twice on that goal. Just said, I'm going to take you wide. Now I'm going to take you wide. And then, bam, 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 goal. It's just beautiful stuff out of Val Nichushkin with that powerful stride. His yeah. puck protection and the way – sorry, Peter. His puck protection and the way he goes Ooh. wide with the puck and cuts back in like – there's nobody better than him in, like that I've seen right now. And obviously I'm biased because I watched the avalanche every other night. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, we're at a point where it's, there was kind of coming into this year. I was, I was wondering of like, would we, we see a bit of a regression offensively just with last year, obviously he had such a great year. Um, I kind of was like, even if he regresses a little offensively and his defense stays consistent, then it's that the con new contract is still worth it. But I think what we're seeing is that, this maybe not 11 points in every six games or whatever, yeah. but this offensively gifted player is, is who he is. Like this, yeah. this isn't a fluke. Like he's a last year when he scored 52 and 62 games, like that's who he is. This is who he is. Like he's just a really good elite level winger that can play on the top line that can carry a second line that could play on the power play that can play on the penalty kill. Hey, and on top of that, like with Gabe Landeskog missing the first three, three and a half months of the season and with him getting top power play minutes, like who's to say this guy can't score 40 goals this year? He gets those top power play minutes plus the even strength goals that I'm sure will start to rack up. Like suddenly what Gabe was doing on the PP now belongs to him plus this offensive outburst like this two-way forward who could be up for the Selkie in any given year might score 40 goals this year. And it's kind of crazy to think just how far this guy's come.
Yeah, yeah and no. I, I wouldn't. I would. I think we might have to taper off the forty goal comer. Like that, we're a long way. It, from... it would. Yeah, it would have to be a thing where again, like he's playing top power play minutes for three and a half months. The power play's clicking, plus even strength production, which obviously losing Gabe Landeskog also means you're losing him at even strength. But there's there's something there with this guy's game that you're seeing become like the norm with him, which which goes back to what you're saying. Like this is just who he is, and that contract was was well-deserved, not necessarily a guy that took advantage of a contract year where he had his best season. Well, and what you're saying, Arif, is that he, he's going to continue to get better still. It's obvious that we still haven't even seen the ceiling of this guy, which is wild to see where he's come and his path. And when he showed up to the Avalanche, it looked like he couldn't even buy a goal. Now he's getting them every game. And I think, Peter, Peter, you win the tweet of the week, in my opinion. The tired Austin Matthews can score 50 goals, wired. Val Nishushkin's going to score eight. I don't even remember. 80 was the number you said. Yeah, it was like at the time he was on pace for over 100 goals. I love think, that. So. That's that's great. I saw Bennett's tweet. Val, Val Nishushkin's on pace for a 150.3 points. Love that. Yeah. That's where he's at right now. I don't um, think he'll finish with that many. I No, I I mean, he's either going to finish with 150 or 151. The point three part's a little tough. Yeah, so, that's, so that's I, tough. I agree. Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember when, when JJ and I, we did a little segment during the Seattle game where we went into the locker room and we during, after morning skate and we asked all of the guys or as many guys as we can from last year's team, what was your favorite memory of Andre Burakovsky? We got some cool ones. Eric Johnson talking about him being scared to fly. Was it Alex Newhook? Alex Newhook was talking about how, oh no, Logan O'Connor was talking about how Burakovsky once had a bet with Gabe Landeskog that he wouldn't submerge himself in the cold tub for one minute. And he won and got a lot of money from Gabe Landeskog, a lot of trash talking, cool stuff like that. So we went to ask Val Nachushkin and I literally approached him and said, Val, may I please have you for literally one question? And he said, no, sorry, no can do. So we walked away and I remembered a story that a previous media member told me once, and it was Mike Chambers back in the 2019-20 season when Val, you know, started slow and then started to pick it up. It was sometime in like February, March, right before COVID. Uh, Mike went to Val and I was standing with Mike and he went to go ask him a question and Val goes, no, 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 no. I talked to you last week. I didn't score for three games. So in my head, all I'm thinking when P when JJ and I wanted to ask him this dumb question about Burakovsky is this guy's thinking in his head, I got something good going right now. I'm not letting this guy ruin it for me. So, and then what not... happened that night? And then he scored and here we are. No, he had two assists, two beautiful assists and then scores the next night against Vegas. So, so Val's Val's on one right now. Just fun to watch. Good story, Arf. That was that was funny to watch you get denied because I knew it was coming, but it was worth the shot. Worth a shot. But he's he's such a nice guy too. Like he's not an asshole to you. He was just like, no, I'm sorry, can't do it. I'm like, all right, it's fine. Uh, let's take a quick break to talk about our buddies over at Superbook Sports, guys. We all know football is back, and nobody is more excited about that than your friends at Superbook Sports. Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands, and now they will match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if the bet wins or loses. You don't have to be at the stadium this fall to enjoy football. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Now keep going down the list of everything that Peter has liked in the last couple of days. Alexander Georgiev has to be the next conversation we get to. I think obviously a big reason they won the Vegas game, really shutting the door and just locking himself in and just bringing that intensity, bringing that fire that we keep bringing up and just game in, game out. I'm loving the way he he's panning out. And it, I feel like he's 
100% securing. It's no longer a 1A, 1B anymore. It feels like it's it's absolutely 1 and 2. And yeah. I don't think it ever was a 1A, 1B. Yeah, I think I think the Avalanche wanted him to be to be 1, and, and that's the reality of it. And I'm not, like, by no means, nothing against Francis for being 0-2. Both of those losses were just, you know, the back-to-back against Calgary and then their poor game against Seattle. But I, I don't know, that game winner against Seattle? <sighs> that was, was a, a bad one. goal. That was a bad, it was bad goal. defense and a bad goal. Yeah, was it McDermott that Carson Coleman yeah. went 1-1 one one with? Yeah, it was just... Poor all around. But uh, the big thing for me with Georgiev is obviously I didn't go to Vegas last night. So I watched the game on altitude and there was a word that Peter McNabb kept using to describe his game. And it was, he looks comfortable and he just looked so calm, cool, and collected. He was comfortable. He was making those games. He wasn't sprawling in the crease or anything. He just looked comfortable in that game more than I've seen his previous three games where he was already two and one, two Oh and one. So He's really settling into his role and he's kind of done it at a great time. Like Tuesday's a big game for him. You know, he wants to wake up for that one. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see him that game. I think he's, yeah, he's been a, a really, really a good bright spot for the abs. I think you look at how Kemper started last year in a new system. It took him a while to get going. You look at how Grubauer started when he first came to the abs. It took him a while to get going. I think there's still some growing pains that he's going to feel that we're going to see. But I think it's really encouraging that he's kind of playing how he is so far this year. I guess uh, I, I want to hear from a 101 kind of breakdown of you guys. I know neither of you are goaltending experts. I've broken his game down as much as I possibly can. What are you seeing that you like about his game that maybe you didn't see out of Darcy Kemper or even Philip Grubauer? Eh, I'm, I don't know because, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like Kemper, I think is a better goalie. Um, I think that. The bar is kind of not whether he can be better than Darcy Kemper was last regular season. It's whether he can be better than Darcy Kemper was when he was battling through an eye injury in the playoffs and couldn't yeah. really track the puck. So I think certainly right now he's tracking the puck better than Kemper could just because Kemper couldn't really see. But I don't think I mean, <laughs> he doesn't have Kemper's size. He doesn't have like Kemper. I, I think pretty highly of as a goaltender, but I think that this will be a good opportunity for Georgiev to to show what he he. I think if you talk to him, he he really believes that he has a lot to show that he wasn't able to show in New York. And now it's kind of his his chance to put up or shut up like this is his his opportunity to show that he's a starting goaltender in this league. And like what better team to join to be able to have that opportunity than this one, the one that won the cup, the one that brought back the same decor. The only thing that I can say that I've noticed, because like you said, JJ, I'm by no means a goalie expert. I don't even pretend to play one on TV and nor am I going to pretend to play one on this podcast. But the one thing that I'm noticing, especially the last, uh, the last showing in the last couple of games I've seen him play is he is so confident in being aggressive like coming way out of the crease above the blue paint and just trying to cut down those angles. I saw Francis do it a couple of times. I think it was a Burakovsky shot where he came way out of his crease and really cut that angle down so low that Berkey had nothing to shoot at, but a goalie. I've noticed that a lot from Georgiev more so than I've noticed it from other goalies. And there's only a few things I look for in goalies and that's one of them. And I've noticed him do it a lot. So it just looks like he's really confident in being aggressive in, in in challenging a shooter, which is something you want to see from your goalie. And doing it at the right time, right? I mean, we've, we've talked so much about the chip he has on his shoulder, and you brought it up. Next matchup is against the New York Rangers. So let's pray that uh, everybody is on the same page and we get to see the Igor Shesterkin alexander Georgiev matchup we've been waiting for. One thing to keep in mind is that is, I believe, the second of a back-to-back for the Rangers. And the night before... 
let me double check before I we we run with it, but I'm pretty sure they play the I wanna say oh no, sorry, it's the first night of a back to back, and on Wednesday they play the Islanders. So are they going to save Shesterkin for the division game against the Islanders? Or are they going to say, let's play our starter in the first of a back-to-back and let the backup deal with the second? Could go either way. And the backup, obviously, is Yaroslav Halak, who used to play for the Islanders. Knowing who Alexander Georgiev is, and you know we've gotten to know him a little bit over the last month or so, you think he definitely has this game circled on his calendar, don't oh, you? Oh, absolutely. 100%. And it's not, I, I, I don't know if it's any ill will, fuck those guys and fuck you know, Shesterkin or this or that, but you're playing your former team, the only team you've ever been. Like, he's got that circle a hell of a lot more than, you know, Kemper probably cared about playing Arizona or whatever. Like, this game matters to him. You know it does. I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of times when the Avs would play Arizona, Jared Bednar would go with Pavel Fransuz. I know Arizona's the weaker team. Go with your backup goalie. But maybe there was a hint of, you know, Arizona knows this guy too well. We don't want them to expose his weaknesses. Do you think there's any shot? No. no not, nothing, I, that, yeah. nothing there. I wouldn't say that. I mean. Because he played him against Arizona. Yeah. Like, what, what are what are you what are you going to give up to, you know, the Coyotes of last year? Uh, I remember Darcy being asked about, like, your former team's in town. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. Like. He didn't really care much for it. So, well, and he also um, said there just there weren't as many. There weren't a lot of a lot of guys were gone. Played on yeah. were gone. Yeah, and even uh, I was gonna say Sampo uh, Anti Ranta was even gone by then. That was his goalie running mate in Arizona. And then aside from the goalie matchup, I mean, New York isn't a team you just want to look over here. So I think this is a pretty exciting matchup considering both these teams uh, were in the conference finals of their respective divisions. I, I think I'm looking forward to almost a, a litmus test here as to where the avalanche really are compared to another really good offensive team. Well, yeah, real quick. I just said it a second ago, you know, tied for the league lead with Valerian Nachushkin in points right now is Artemi Panarin. So the Rangers offense is going, uh, the avalanche offense has kind of been hot and cold because the top guys are going, but this is a good team and it's going to be a good litmus test of a game for both sides. Um, after that, they head to New Jersey and New York, of course, the East Coast trip before they head to Finland. Anything to look into those two games that, that you know we need to keep an eye on before we get there? I'm excited to see New Jersey play. I think they're a, they're a better team than maybe people think. Um, I think they have a lot of potential and could have um, – I, I don't know if they're going to beat the Avs. They might, like a, they did last year when the Avs were in Jersey. But I, I think that – the Devils were kind of my sneaky pick to make the playoffs going into the year. And I, I think I'll stand by that for now. Yeah, they started the season really rough. They lost five to two to the Philadelphia Flyers and then the Detroit Red Wings. And people were calling for Lindy Ruff's head. The, the crowd was literally chanting during that Red Wings game. I was watching fire Lindy and it was kind of awkward and hard to listen to. But since then, they've they've rattled off three, three straight wins, and it's their top guys that have been running the show. It's Nico Heischer is making good plays. It's Andre Palat scoring big goals. Where have we seen that before? Jesper Bratz got eight assists. Dougie Hamilton's showing up. Jack Hughes is showing up. So I'm really excited to watch them play. Their goaltending is still a little bit of a question mark, but that's a team that's kind of exciting and on the rise, and it's, it's going to be cool to see them. And obviously, you know, the Islanders are a fun team to watch as well now, and they have a good goalie as well. So the Avalanche are going to go up against uh, three pretty fun games here before they go to Finland. For a second there, I thought you were going to say that the crowd was calling for Lindy Ruff's head as well. That that would have been gruesome to, to hear. <laughs> K- kill him. Um, 
Uh, let's get to Total Beverage, guys. Uh, everybody knows Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits. But did you know they deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know they also have online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need, and more. Um, it's funny to me that, you know, after the Superbook read, we have to, or even back when we did the uh, other sports book read, we have to do that little disclaimer of gambling problem, call 1-800, et cetera, et cetera. It's weird to me that after a liquor store read, we don't have to say anything about being 21 or older. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, last thing I wanted to get to, let's have a little bit of fun, guys. The the retro jerseys. Your guys' thoughts, I think it was very hit or miss on uh, Twitter. A little bit more miss than hit, I think, if you if you really gauged Avalanche Land out there. But let's get your guys' thoughts on those new reverse retro jerseys. They're fine. Five yeah, out of ten. Yeah. I don't yeah. have any. I, I, I have, like, the most lukewarm take on this is they're just, they're just right in the middle. They don't do much yeah. for me, but I don't dislike them. Um, I'm sure maybe they'll look cooler on the ice than they, they do on TV. But for me, it was going to be hard coming off those Nordiques jerseys to, to really blow you away. And then this one was just, it was fun. Sorry. Yeah. So that's, that's a really good point coming off the new Nordiques jerseys. Anybody could have guessed that avalanche fans were not going to be happy with this one because that's a hard one to top. Uh, the only way you could have topped, the Nordiques jersey was to flip the white in the burgundy and have a burgundy base with a white Nordiques logo and just run it back. So I think that's what the Minnesota Wild, funny enough, did with their reverse retro 2.0. But it takes a lot for me to not hate. I mean, it takes a lot for me to hate a jersey to like legitimately be like, this is outrageously like, I don't know if I've ever done that before. And I'm not going to do that here either. The couple things that I would have liked to see is the Avalanche really liked to go with that base white color. And I was just curious to see what, you know, this Rockies inspired colors would have looked like where it was more of a, I don't know, red, blue, orange, whatever the hell the other primary color would be. That's not white. I'm really curious in knowing what that is. I'm also really curious in knowing what the pants and the socks and the whole, you know, outfit is going to look like. Are they just going to wear it with black, you know, breezers, which they don't even wear anymore? Is it going to be more of like a blue with like a red, yellow stripe on the sides? Like, I'm really intrigued to see what it is. Uh, other than that, yeah, I just I just think what Peter said is they're fine. Um, the Colorado Sea logo, we've seen it before, the outdoor game in 2016. It's fine. The colors are fine. It's it's an ode to the Rockies, and it's going to be fun to see them wearing something different. I think they're pretty cool. And yeah, I, I can't really be the full judge until you see them in full gear, but I'm just happy they didn't go with the license plate look that the Colorado Rockies went yeah. with. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with that. Peter can fill me on that. Throwing some, throwing a baseball reference. Peter, Peter's all about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I'm on it. <laughs> I thought, yeah, if man, if they could have done the Nordiques logo, la, or that reverse retro, but just on powder blue, that would have been sick. I think yeah. that would have looked great. Like the Canadians have one of the best ones because it's powder blue and it's pretty simple. And and the I like I think simple is often the route to go. Like I like. Calgary's I thought looked cool, but then they at the bottom they have this. Weird, yeah, what's like, with that stride. line? Yeah, it's almost just that like was too so weird, too much. I and I think the best ones are often the simplest ones. So I, I think the that, simplest ones and whatever the hell Arizona does every time they have one of these. <laughs> so yeah, Arizona's branding just doesn't do much for me. It, it never has. They've got the desert vibes going there. Yeah. 
That was my uh, next question, though. Was what's which one's your favorite? Bruins. Bruins look great. You got to pick one, though. Don't one. just start listing your best one. Uh, you got to pick one. The Bruins. All right. Fair Honorable enough. mention to Montreal and St. Louis. I had to get St. Louis. In there. Oh, the St. Louis. Uh, I feel like was was the worst one. <laughs> oh, I thought that looked really cool. I like that color blue. I like powder blue. I, I do. I do like that color blue. The logo looked funny, but I do like that color blue. It's very Brett Hull esque era. Um, I think I'll go with the Penguins. I like the the robotic, the the Robo Penguin, the Triangle Penguin. I love the black color for them. Just makes um, you think of Mario and Yager, right? Bingo. Yeah, Mario Yager, Ron Francis, and Ulf Samuelson, and Tom Barrasso coming out of high school, winning a Vezina or whatever the hell he did. Yeah, that's that's the era that I remember with that jersey. You both good good answers, but wrong answers. It's actually the Florida Panthers is the best. That's a good one. I liked that one. Which one was the Panthers one? They've got a palm tree and a hockey stick crossing on some baby blue and some good yeah, stuff. Baby blue powder. Oh blue yes, yeah, that one is a nice one too. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a very Miami Heat type of jersey. Well, I'm excited to see these once they whip out because, you know, everybody hates, you know, like the like the silver helmets or the chrome helmets, I guess, that the Kings are wearing or the gold helmets. Everybody hated them at first. I think they're starting to grow on people, as will these, I'm sure. Um, that brings but, us to the – But again, really oh, quick, ahead. like I'm really genuinely intrigued at what the Avalanche do with the full gear because like the – like the color scheme for this jersey with all the different lines and the different colors that are there, like they could really do something crazy with the with the breezers and the socks and whatever. Like they could look really flashy. And I'm just so curious. That yellow circle right in the middle of that Colorado Sea logo, like that could be a stripe going down the pants, the socks. I don't know. It's gonna be fun to kind of see what they do with the full gear. Yeah, they're gonna have to try to go off the flag a little bit, right? I think that's the inspiration here is the Colorado flag. So see how they incorporate those colors. But um, yeah, let's end the show here, Arif, with an extra attacker. I know you had a good one prepared for us. I hope I'm not catching you off guard and you forgot oh, which one it which one it was. Which one was it? Um, ah, crap! What was it? We talked about this the other see, day. This is why I have you write things down on post-it notes. Yep, this is why our our New Year's Eve idea is written down. Um. Oh my God, it's not coming to me. What oh, was it? We'll save it for the next podcast. Damn, you, you caught me off guard. As soon as you said the extra attacker, I was like, oh dear God, what, what was I going to do? I forget. <laughs> well, Peter, you want to uh, tease anything you're working on uh, before we get out of here? Um, Nothing crazy. I'm going on the New York and Finland trip, so I should have some some good stuff from both those places. Oh, that and, should be uh, fun. Yeah, I'm excited. So, um, But no, nothing crazy other than that. What what are your plans in Finland? Anybody give you any recommendations that you have to hit any Missouri style pizza? <laughs> well, I was told by uh, Arturi Lekkinen and Miko Rantanen and UC Parkala that the saunas are just like you must you have to go to the saunas there. So, guess I'll be checking out some saunas. I got some food recommendations. Do uh, some food reviews of Finnish foods, um, courtesy of Miko Rantanen, and um, yeah, should be fun. Is it Food just like use? Is it just like retail spots that they have? You go in and enjoy a sauna, or how? I don't know, man. I'm curious. So when I was in Turkey over the summer, I did uh, what they call a Turkish bath. If you've never seen what a Turkish bath is, look it up. They they scrub the living daylights out of you. They literally like scrub the demons out of your skin. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because the lady that handled the Turkish bath for me, and there's like a sauna portion to it and a whole like a steam room portion to it. She was from Finland. She was Finnish. So hmm. I'm really curious if it's similar to a Turkish bath. I don't think so. I think it's just a sauna. I like think legitimately just, just a sauna. Yes. I'm pretty sure it's just a sauna. 
like a store? Is it a chain? Are there <laughs> are there competitors? Like, is oh, it like no, you, you got to go to Hakalaka. Like a vending machine. You put a couple <laughs> You could put a couple quarters in there. The door opens. You sit in there. You sweat. You walk. You leave. Like, really we interesting. Need, we need video, Peter. We need, yeah. we need more I'll on this to, sauna thing. I'll have to keep you posted. Right on. Well, big week for the Avalanches. They head on their first real road trip of the year. Uh, I guess this is a great place to, to wrap up our podcast for the week, guys. Any closing thoughts before we head out? Should be good. Thank you. All good from me. I'm excited for the Georgiev versus the Rangers game. I finally get to post that story that I wrote on Georgiev over the summer or over the preseason, I should say, not the summer. Um, that will go up Tuesday. I'm going to throw some edits in there to make it a little bit more, you know, add some stats in there of how he's played so far, but look out for that story. And, and that game should be fun. By the way, it is an ESPN game. So for all the pissed off with the whole altitude thing going on, people, the game is on ESPN. It should be a fun one. It's wild how much people celebrate that nowadays, but yep. Peter, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Don't forget, check out Peter's stuff at theathletic.com. and uh, Arif, you thanks for hanging out with me as well. Everybody else, don't forget to check out our sponsors. At and don't Superbook forget to Sports. check out Arif Stuff's at milehighsports.com. Come on, JJ. You got to <laughs> plug me into Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. Uh, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you.